Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Welcome back to another episode of the Soulful Sound Podcast. I'm really excited as always. And today I am joined by the wonderful Eileen McCusick, who is a sonic explorer, scientist, healer, and inspiring entrepreneur with a curious mind. Eileen is the author of two books on sound therapy and biofield science. Her first book, Tuning the Human Biofield, Healing with Vibrational Sound Therapy, and Following with Electric Body and electric health. Welcome, Eileen. Thanks, Simone. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. I've read a lot of your books. And um, as one of the tutors at the College of Sound Healing, I think some of them are actually on the reading list. So we very much love um, your work over here, which is which is beautiful. It's amazing to have you. Nice. And what I like to start with, with all of my guests, really, is just to get an idea of your story and what brought you here, what got you into the work that you're doing today. Well, I think a lot of us who go into the healing arts do it for selfish reasons, because we realize that on some level we're broken and the consequence of a broken system and a sick culture and a really messed up world where we're lied to and we're put in boxes and fed a lot of misinformation that causes us to not believe in ourselves, not trust ourselves. And we also get programmed with many destructive programs that come through the media, that come from just from the culture. Uh, the culture aims to make us anxious, sick, diminished, depressed, separate. And all of those things happen to me. Uh, very much a victim of the unbalanced environment that I was spawned in <laughs> and, that we, and that we all are. We're downstream of many generations of trauma. Yes. Mm. And we inherit all of that dysfunction, whether we realize it or not. You know, we all have perfect souls, but we pop out into the time-space continuum into bloodlines that have been corrupted by all kinds of trauma. And and then we think there's something wrong with us. Mm. And it all becomes in turns into self-loathing and self-destructiveness. Mm. We don't realize that there's nothing wrong with us, that we were created as beautiful, amazing, brilliant, gifted beings, every single one of us. Yes. But we go through this kind of meat grinder of education and reality. Uh, and then we're told that, that it's us, that we're the problem. Mm. Right? So I was very much in that place. Uh, very depressed, very <laughs> broken feeling, and decided I, I became bulimic. That was sort of the way that that sickness expressed in me. But I also felt very intolerant of the fact that I became hooked in a self-destructive addiction. And anybody who suffers from addiction knows that there's this thing that goes with it 
added addiction where you spend a lot of time and energy thinking about your addiction, right? Your mind is never quiet. Mm. And it was that loss of inner peace and that feeling that I had been hijacked into this incredible internal dysfunction, right? A lot of people feel this way. Like you can project a part of you that's fine and seem normal, but inside you've got this really crazy racing dialogue around whatever your addiction is it can show up in so many different ways. Yes. And so it was it, obviously the behavior is unhealthy and self-destructive, but what I was motivated to find more of than anything was really an inner peace and calm. Mm. That's what I wanted to find. Yeah, I wanted to feel spacious and free inside, not just bound up in all of my neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think that inner peace is, is something that we all strive for, that calm. And as you said, with all the, you know, catalysts and things that we have around us that heighten and certainly, um, let's say, even invite anxiety and all of these things culturally, it's it can feel like a, a really hard battle for so many people. Um, and so what are some of the things that you did? I mean, I know that your work is a lot around this and we can go into what biofuel tuning is. But first, I guess that personal first steps for you, what did you do that thought, how do I get at least one step closer to that inner peace? Mm -hmm. Well, I started reading self-help books when I was 18. And that was really in the 80s. This is the dawn of of a, a lot of people coming out. Tony Robbins was one of my my first teachers, still remains a teacher today. Uh, Marianne Williamson and uh, A Course in Miracles came into my life around when I was 20. And, and I grew up in a very atheistic environment. I went to prep school where religion is absolutely frowned upon. I grew up in a home without any kind of religion, my, which was rare back then, but my parents kind of eschewed the whole thing. You know, the only religious anything was swear words in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was very unlike me because often when you're addiction, when you are in the throes of addiction, it's very hard to keep your focus on anything. And so A Course in Miracles is both Christian and very religious, and it requires quite a lot of attention because you have to do an exercise every day for a year. You have to go through this book. Yeah. And actually, much to my surprise, I remained committed to it. And I stuck with it. And that actually really did begin the process of quieting my mind. It got me to reframe how I was looking at life. And that helped, right? Anything that changes our perspective mm -hmm. is going to help move us from where we are, how we're seeing ourselves, how we're seeing life. And that really Do you feel called to use your voice and sound in a healing capacity? Learn how to use your voice therapeutically to facilitate healing and well-being. Whether you want to go deeper in your own healing journey or facilitate others in theirs, this training is for you. This online training runs over five weekends and offers theory, practice, resources, and support on your path to becoming a qualified sound healer and for your personal healing journey. And that really did help. Um, one of the things that I figured out 
between 18 and 20, because I, I stopped being bulimic when I was 20. I figured out how to overcome it. Mm. But I realized two things that were really, really important. And I, and I hope this might be helpful for anybody who's addicted out there to whatever you're addicted to. Yeah. One was that I had been programmed for this kind of behavior by the culture. I'd literally been programmed because for young women, and this is still true today, we get sort of two signs held up to us. One is consume, go out and buy things. right? And then the other is be skinny. It's like, you know, and I know there's more body positivity now, but I think that that still remains this sort of like, you know, we want to be skinny and fit and da 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 And And we tend to see, this is something that I just noticed on a website that I was at, um, this swimsuit website that was claiming to promote body positivity, but their models were either really skinny or they were pretty overweight. And there was like nobody in that middle (laughs) normal range, right? So even though we're trying to say body positivity, that medium size, normal, healthy human is still not represented out there. Mm -hmm. And that's really an indication of our whole culture, which is really about extremes. We've really lost the middle of everything. Everything has become, you know, sort of indicative of that. Now I'm a Libra. I was born in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the month, (laughs) and I'm a Libra, (laughs) and I'm very oriented towards that middle, but that middle has been eviscerated in our culture, and that was also part of my struggle, was finding a balanced place when all we're given is extremes, right? Mm. So, so... Uh, as a Libra and as what I call a bothist, <laughs> where I'm you know, like, I'm not going to take either or I want both, please. As a, a bulimic, I figured out how to do both, how to consume and stay skinny at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I realized that I had been programmed into this behavior and that it wasn't really my fault. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I realized was that it was like my hand and my mouth. And if I wasn't in control of myself, then who or what was? Right. Right. Like I realized that nobody was going to come and save me, Mm. That, that it was completely up to me to figure out how to rein myself in and fix the brokenness that was going on because there was nothing outside of me that could change what I, what my hand and my mouth was doing. Right. So when I realized that I had to take responsibility <laughs> and, and then I was, that was able, and then I had learned enough from the books that I was reading. Um, but that said, I still didn't understand boundaries. There were many, many difficult lessons uh, that I had to learn. And, uh, and I ended up opening a restaurant with my family when I was 20. And for the like three years, I worked hundred hour weeks and didn't know how to say no, didn't, even though I wasn't throwing up, I wasn't eating well. And I basically burned myself out completely trying to take care of everybody else and everything else and not taking care of myself at all. And I think this is something that a lot of us do, right? Mostly women, but men do it too. Yes. And we have to learn the hard way after we've turned ourselves into burnt toast that we need to understand what boundaries and self-care look like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what happened to me was I really ruined my back 
because I was on my feet so much and I was under so much stress. And I just reached a point where I just couldn't, it was like being an alcoholic in a bar. I was a baker. I was a really good baker and I was just surrounded by by sugar. You know, I just kind of lived on sugar and coffee all day long, just whatever quick grab. And this is something again, that a lot of busy people do. You just go for the quick grab that works in the short term. It doesn't work in the long term at all. Right. Yes. Uh, so I ended up leaving my restaurant and going to massage therapy school. And that really began my personal transformation into understanding self-care. I started practicing yoga, started getting more inside my body. Mm. And when I came back to the restaurant a year later, I understood more about boundaries. And I also realized that I was really passionate about health and especially about natural health. And so I started doing massages part-time on the side, but I was always reading books. And at this point, talking about earlier, we were talking about the trail of crumbs and where that leads. Um, My trail of crumbs in my research led me into vibrational healing. And I ended up getting a whole bunch of books on the use of color and sound and music in healing, which I found really compelling. The whole idea that, you know, that this is an artifact of our perception that ultimately Mm -hmm. there is nothing solid that it's really all light basically it's all waves in space that our perception slows down to the point where it feels to be solid but ultimately it's really all just fields of information and energy so if we are fundamentally patterns of vibration of color and sound and light then treating ourselves and our imbalances with color and sound and light made a lot of sense to me, right? Yeah. Just logical. Yeah, completely. <coughs> and I mean, I even with my children, when we talk about a little bit about what I do, you know, they obviously they've seen me practicing and doing sound and a lot of interesting things in this area for a while. But one of the things that I said, um, as you're talking about what we perceive is, well, if there if it's true, right, that scientifically, it's been proven, but if it's true that we have 70% roughly of our bodies made up of water, why aren't we like waving around this place? You know, why, why is it that it looks like so much, you know, like you said, the solid, the slowing down, the perception of of matter and and molecules and the things that we learn in in physics and science at school. Um, But also, as you're talking about vibration, how beautifully and quickly it moves through water. So let's talk a little bit more about that, because I really can't wait to get some more about the biofuel tuning that you got to in the end. (laughs) Yeah, well, the books led me to keep my antennas up around the topic. And this was in 1996. Like this was a long time ago compared the sound healing is really only starting to dawn in people's awareness over the last few years here. So back in 96, it was definitely far out territory, but I got a catalog in the mail. I got a catalog that had a set of tuning forks for healing. It was a C major scale. It was a biosonic set uh, created by John Bolyu. Yes. And I got them. They came with a little tiny instruction book that said, you see in the root chakra and D in the sacred. And, uh, and so I had massage therapy clients that I asked to be guinea pigs. I was like, Hey, I got these tuning forks. You want to experiment? And I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and I just want to say so many people have said to me, well, I have tuning forks, but I don't use them because I don't know what to do with them. 
I didn't either. (laughs) I didn't either. And, And I think that right there in a nutshell is how our culture corrupts us to stop us from being willing to experiment, to be curious, to see what we notice, to trust our own perception, to trust our own authority. We, we've been so programmed to look to other people to tell us what to do, that we dishonor our own genius and our own curiosity. Because if you give a sonic slider, you give any of my tuning forks to a kid, they're not going to say, I don't know what to do with this. They're just going to immediately start playing with it. They're going to immediately start hitting it on things, putting it on themselves. They're natural scientists. And as adults, we have lost that. Okay. So I don't ever want to hear anybody ever tell me that sentence again. Like just go. (laughs) I know. And I, and I always reframe it with that question when someone asks me the same, like, I don't know what to do with it. I say, well, what do you want to do with it? And then they they give me the answer, which is like, well, I don't want to feel pain anymore. I said, we'll start there, you know, and just let them play with that intention as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great response. Well, what do you want to do then? (laughs) Then just do it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's it. I love it. So you went through massage, the curiosity's buzzing, you've got your tuning forks, you're trying things out, and then... Well, uh, and then, you know, right off the bat, I made observations with the forks that really surprised me that I just wasn't expecting at all. Like I really thought like a tuning fork was just going to produce this objective tone. This is the C and I'm just going to wave this C over you. (laughs) But that's not what happened at all. Because what I know now that I didn't know then is that the body is constantly giving off waves. Well, yes. We did know that, right? I mean, yes. I can feel your vibe from across the room, tell whether I dig you or whether I don't. Yeah, Everybody exactly. has that capacity because we're all, we're water and we're transmitting <laughs> and receiving vibration all the time. Yes. But the body, because everything in the body is in motion and everything in motion makes waves and waves propagate, the body is giving off very high frequency, very low amplitude vibrations Mm -hmm. constantly. Now, a tuning fork, especially the aluminum tuning forks that I use, produce, uh, and technically, an infinite number of overtones and undertones, because way beyond the hearing range. And so what happens is these very weak emanations from the body intersect the very weak and high frequencies of the tuning forks. And then that information precipitates down through the octaves into the hearing range. So the fork actually gives us the ability to listen to the emanations of the body which is really kind of amazing. And I remember the first time I was working on somebody who was in pain and he had a sense of sharp pain in his shoulder. And when I held the vibrating tuning fork, C, I was using C, over his shoulder, uh, it went sharp. (laughs) It sounded sharp. And then when I held it over the other shoulder where he didn't have pain, it sounded normal. I don't know, back here. And I was sure when he could hear it and I could hear it. And we were like, that's weird. And then I just kept holding it there. And after a little while, it just didn't sound sharp anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he got off the table and he rotated his arm. He's like, oh, my God, all the pain is gone. Amazing. And we were both totally shocked. Right? I mean, you can't call that the placebo effect. We didn't have a freaking clue what was going on or what to expect. No idea what was happening there. But his body did. His body's like, oh, here's a tonal reflection of an imbalance that I have going on. So mm-hmm. I'm going to use the the steady tone and the, and the steady rhythm, like a metronome, to yeah. basically 
self-tune myself again and relax the tension that is creating the jam up in the electrical system that is giving rise to pain. Basically, he relaxed. Yes. Yes. And the pain went away. And I was stunned. (laughs) Getting back to harmony and balance, right? That's right. And I mean, you you use the the very practical analogy of like feeling someone's vibe, you know, when someone walks into a room, if you dig them or not. And I like that because I think it's such a great way of talking about entrainment in the way that you've just described it, which is simply sometimes you walk into a room and you you can sense someone's vibe. And often what happens if that person is steady, secure within themselves, their own balance, their own harmony, let's call it then those around can feel that vibration and either they they leave because it's not congruent or they come towards it. And I think that ripple effect is so profound, you know, just in our day-to-day life and, and communicating with people and, you know, that kind of connection and, and so on. It's so interesting. Yeah, it all happens on this very subtle level because we can know when we meet somebody instantly in a way, whether we're jiving, whether they're resonating different parts of us. And we yeah. know we meet people, like we love them right away. <laughs> and yes. we don't, we haven't taken the time to get to know them. We don't know their story. We don't know anything about them, but we know how they make us feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's all happening at this level of vibration. It's not chemistry. I'm not smelling someone's pheromones from across the room. It's no. not chemical <laughs> response. It is, it is electromagnetic. Mm-hmm. Our, the interaction of our electromagnetic fields. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful. I love that. And as you mentioned pheromones, it it did cross my mind that that's spoken about a lot when when it comes to choosing a mate or choosing a partner. And I'd be curious your thoughts of the vibrational pull of choosing a partner. It's not Mm. something that I thought to ask, but in that context, it's quite interesting. Do you have any thoughts about that, that kind of matching as we might have in music, you know, a C major chord feeling a particular way or different intervals that just feel, you know, really happy and solid and create different resonance in the body? What do you think about those things? Well, what comes to mind for me is the first published study that we conducted through my institute, because what I observed, so just kind of backing up just a little bit. Initially, when I was playing with the tuning forks for 10 years, I only used them right over the body. And I and I discovered that that in certain places it would the sound would go loud mm-hmm. and like let's say i was working around somebody's hip area and i would hold the fork over the energy center or the midline of the body and it would sound quiet and then i kind of go over and check out say the right hip and it would sound loud in the, the right hip and that person might be complaining that they had pain in their right hip and i discovered that i could use a vibrating tuning fork like a magnet that I could, I could stick a fork into these loud spots and I could actually move the loud spots like a magnet and like drop them in the midline. And then it wouldn't be loud over here anymore. It would be loud over the midline of the body. And then the person would be like, well, my hip doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> so for 10 years, I would see maybe one to two people a week as a hobby. And I just did this little kind of click, drag and drop to the midline thing and hang out wherever things were atonal and just bring everything to center. People would say, I feel very centered <laughs> afterwards. So, <clears throat> but at the time, this was so far out and I was so kind of embarrassed to tell people that I was doing sound healing with tuning forks because I got very unkind, skeptical, dismissive responses from people. And I'm sensitive. I'm a very sensitive person. And like, I don't know, that doesn't feel good when people are just like, 
backhand you with their dismissiveness. You know, of like I don't want to be a freaking healer. I don't want to be treated that way. So, so I, but it was still fascinating, right? It was it was interesting enough to kind of keep me going with it. So, but I had no intention of making it my primary vocation. (laughs) And so, but then I had something happen in 2006 that changed everything. And that was that I discovered a loud spot about three feet away from somebody. And when I moved that loud spot into the midline, a very difficult symptom that they had had that had not gotten resolution from many different kinds of interventions resolved. And that got me very curious about what the heck was going on around the body. Like, why the heck was there a loud spot all the way out there? And what, you know what I mean? And like, well, I'm bringing it in. And so I started in my little hobby, just exploring the field around the body and then discovered that the field is, well, I discovered a lot of things. I discovered that our body has an electrical system that we're not told about and that we have electric current running through our body, powering everything. And that we have a magnetic field around us because anything that has electric current running through it has a magnetic field around it. Right. I discovered that our, that our energy field is, um, is a Taurus. Right. And, and that our body is in the middle part and then we have a magnetic field around it and it's bounded by a double layer plasma membrane. So we live in a little kind of bubble. Actually, in this model, the body is inside the mind because the body's electrical system is what we would call our mind, conscious mind, subconscious mind, where all our memories are, where all our feelings happen. It's all electrical waves moving through us, right? So what I I started to discover this, I started to be like, whoa, there's stuff going on. And then I discovered that what I was encountering, that these loud spots or places where energy is charged or frozen were actually related to specific memories. Mm. Which was really wild. I'm like, whoa, I thought memories were in the brain. And now I'm finding them in this sort of hidden territory (laughs) like that's sort of in plain view but wow there's actually stuff here and i discovered that that there was actually a very specific anatomy and physiology to the field that surrounded the body yeah and that took years to kind of figure out and put it together and it was sort of like pattern recognition you know i was really sort of fumbling in the dark and then i'd have these like momentary flashes of illumination where i'd be like that's a file drawer where all the sad memories live off the left shoulder and ones that are recent are close by and ones that were childhood are far away and as we generate information by going through our day we've got all these little needles that are like how are you feeling <laughs> like i'm feeling groovy <laughs> i'm having a really hard time and then the, you know we we're just laying down the track of our lives in these standing waves in our body's electrical system. And I discovered that, you know, very often when people had going on in their bodies were related to unresolved emotional traumas from years ago. And that when we went in and we worked with that memory and we settled it down and we took the energy that was frozen in it, we brought it back to the midline that people got better, <laughs> you know, that they, they, I don't feel depressed. I don't have pain. My anxiety has settled down. I was finally able to start that creative project. I busted all this clutter. Like people were coming back and telling me these amazing stories. Mm. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, <laughs> there's something going on here. Yeah. And, and I kind of felt a moral obligation 
to bring it out in the world, right? You go, you're messed up, you go see a provider, you want relief. Yeah. And I think we've all had the experience of going to providers and not getting relief and oh, how yeah. frustrating yeah, of that course. can be. <laughs> oh, gosh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, so here was something that was like, almost with every person coming in, they're like, problem solved, problem solved. Right, but I didn't understand it. I was like, what the heck is going on here? This is the strangest thing in the world that I'm six feet away from you with a vibrating tanny fork and it's healing yes. your problems, right? Yes, I really exactly. needed to understand it. So then I got really clear guidance from God, basically, that dropped in one day and 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 told me that I needed to stay on this path. I needed to go to college and get degrees. I needed to be involved in the advancement of the science of this. I needed to awaken an army and <laughs> cover the globe with biofield tuning. And it was all as clear as can be. It was like certified male. And, uh, and I couldn't really argue with it, but I did feel reluctant. And for many years, as I've been on this journey to discover and explain and describe and uh, and facilitate movement in the direction of biofield medicine, I was sort of dragging one leg behind me <laughs> because just because it was really weird. But what's cool now is that we really have thousands of practitioners all over the world yes. who are doing this work. And it's kind of become normal, <laughs> but it sure yeah. didn't start off that way. But what, what, where my mind went as I'm discovering these patterns around the field, I was like, it would be really cool to develop a technology that would make visible what the forks are making audible because yeah. seeing is believing, right? If we can actually like show on a, on a computer screen, the status of the jam ups in your field, mm -hmm. <laughs> that'll go a long way towards getting people to believe in this. Yeah. So I went off in search of finding somebody who could help to build this device. And I ended up coming into connection with Shamini Jan and her team at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. Shamini had already published a number of papers on the biofield. It's what went into my master's thesis, the people who kind of came before me in this field, Beverly Rubick, Shamini, David, um, uh, um, I can't think of somebody's name. But anyway, these people, so I met them in person and I'm like, let's build this device. And they said, well, we want to make sure that there's a there there before we invest in creating a device. <laughs> yeah. So let's create a study where we have three different practitioners and we have maybe 10 volunteers and the practitioners come in, the, the, the volunteer is blindfolded, has in earplugs, they can't see the practitioner. We're gonna have three people come in and see if we find the same traumatic memories, same areas of perturbation mm -hmm. in yeah. the field. Like, is there an objective thing going on there that we can be like, yep, there's a spot right there and everybody concurred. But what we found in that study was that there was no inter-rater agreement hardly at all. We all encountered and described different memories and aspects in the field. And what this showed me was that the field is very dynamic and it's always changing. And yes, there is an element that's got all of our memories in it, but we exist in the space between each other. Mm. And you will bring out things in me. Yeah. 
that other people won't, right? We all know, like my husband brings out a part of me. My kids bring out a different part. My employees bring out a different part. The person I just met sitting at the bar here, you know, while I'm waiting to go teach a class is going to bring out something completely different. And that's that resonance that we were talking about. When you meet somebody, they bring out different electromagnetic patterning. So for example, if I'm as a provider working on somebody who was raped when they were 17 and I was raped when I was 17, that memory is going to resonate me and I'm going to come across it and I'm going to be able to work with that. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a dude who's never been raped, I might not, that blip might not even you know, I might not even pick it up because it's yeah. got no magnetic resonance in me. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to discover that you broke your leg a few years later and we're going to work on that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is a very important thing in understanding how dynamic this is. And after a few years of thinking that I wanted to create a device, I realized that, you know, what the most important thing in healing isn't some machine to tell you what's going on. It's really the witness of another caring, attentive, curious, empathetic human heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No machine can ever take the place of me witnessing your traumatic story at age 10 that you never told anybody. And I'm just got my fork in that memory and we're hanging out and I'm just validating your experience of that. That allows you to relax whatever tension you are still holding from that difficult memory at 10. Me caring and witnessing that in you. And this is where the forks are so beautiful because we don't even need to talk about it because the, all of the information of that memory is right in there. And when I put that fork there, I vibrate feel it in my body. You can't get into any kind of deeper empathy or witnessing than like being in the vibrational field of somebody's trauma. Yeah. That is so beautiful and profound. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm, I love that you brought it right back to what I asked as well. So thank you for, for sharing that. That is beautiful. So I'm curious because in a, in a lot of the work that you do, you talk a lot about um, hearing the sound change or you, you talk a lot about what you hear. You know, there's a deep listening and obviously with that comes an intuition, an intuitive piece. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about that for you. What is that kind of, if there is, um, uh, maybe ratio is not the right word, but between what the, the uh, what's audible, what the ear is hearing and then the intuitive piece, how do you marry those two together? Mm, that's a great question, Simone. Thank you. Well, early on, early on, there was like the sharpness of pain, right? So I'm like, oh, that's sharp. <laughs> uh, and I could, and I could turn, determine that or places where it would go full of static or, and over time I started to discern and it was really the left shoulder where I kept, every time I'd get into something off people's left shoulders, it would sound sad, like like sound like sad music sounds sad, right? If you and I are listening to a sad song together, I don't have to be like Simone. The song is sad. Yeah. <laughs> you be like, Eileen. I tell the song is sad. Just right. Tears. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we we all have this sort of tonal sensitivity to what different emotions sound like. And that's what music seeks to express is excitement, yes. fear, right? Any, any of these things of like music's trying to do the same thing. So what I discovered was that there was this universal vibrational language that that all emotions are actually a waveform in a particular frequency signature that then we put words on. Yes. So 
so I discovered that off the left shoulder, there were all of these different iterations of sadness. There could be like loneliness or melancholy or like a deep grief or wailing or keening or abandonment. I, you know, just subtle things, but I could hear it in, in the sound that there was a story there. Yeah. And then I, and then I started to realize like, wow, every time I hear something that sounds angry or is plugged into an angry memory, I'm finding it off the right side of the solar plexus. Mm. Um, every time I encounter something that's like somebody with a busy mind and they're just going and going and going, like I find that off the right hip and that's usually guilt driven. Mm. And so it took years for the whole biofield anatomy and this discovery that different emotions were filed in different zones and what the nuances of those subtle vibrations meant. Yeah. So it, it was kind of like learning a sonic braille of sorts mm -hmm. and, and, and then became pattern recognition is like, Oh, I know what that sound is. Like that's you moved at that age. Yeah. Right. Did you move when you were 14? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved when I was 14. Oh, I don't know what that sounds like. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's even a wacky sound of where I've said to people, did you ask to go to the bathroom in first grade and the teacher wouldn't let you and you ended up peeing at your desk? And they'd be like, how the hell do you know that? And I'm like, there's a particular sound for that feeling and it, where it is in the thing. It's like you're six and there's that sound in the guilt and shame zone. Like, yep, that's what happened. It happens to a lot of kids. Like in kindergarten, they let you go to the bathroom in first grade. They don't. <laughs> so, or at least so, back then. Yeah, that's an interesting example. <laughs> that's an interesting example, right? I mean, there are so many. And I and I learned to discern like that's a car accident, that's a breakup, that's a bad marriage. Like all of these things are are in the tone. Then I discovered that plants and animals speak the same language. But what's really interesting to me is that I it, it wasn't until years, probably two or three years into this process of discovery of the sounds of different emotions, mm. till I finally heard and recognized fear. Mm. And I was working on a woman who was very overweight and she, she had, but she had a big spirit too. And she was like, her sounds were really big. I could really hear them. And I heard this like, do, 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 this pulsing sound. And it, it dawned on me. I was like, that's fear. I was like, how have I never identified this particular emotion before? Yeah. And I realized is because I grew up as the youngest of six kids. I have, um, five siblings that are six to 12 years older than me. And then I came six years later and we had a real rough housing kind of family. Now in a pack, if you show fear, you get attacked. And so in order for me to learn to navigate my childhood and try to avoid attacks, I had to learn to suppress the feeling of fear. And I was completely fearless. I've been traveling by myself since I was 16. Like I was not afraid of anything or anybody go anywhere or do anything. Like we just was never afraid of anything because I had so masterfully suppressed the awareness of it that even though now I know, and many people learn that fear is one of the easiest distortions to discern. I didn't hear it in myself. So I didn't hear it in the fork. Whereas I'd spent a lot of time in my life being sad and was very attuned to all of the different nuances of sadness, which was why I identified that first. Yes. Now, some people might see me like do a group distance session and I'm like, this is this. And I like explain all of this stuff, you know, and people are, think that they should be able to do that too. Well, what you don't realize is that I've spent 27 years learning this language. 
27 years of learning language. And you can't think that you're going to take a class, become certified, and you're going to have the same level of discernment and understanding that I do, right? It's a lot has come with time. But that said, many people to answer your question, are intuitive. And that knowing does drop in Well, they'll like be in a spot and they'll be listening to it and it will just come to them. They'll be like, okay, this said, you know, but you can also plot it on the map, which is what biofield tuning practitioners do. They're combing through the field. They hit a wonky spot. They plot it on the map. Okay. This is um, frustration over unmet needs. And this is around 12. So is that bringing up anything for you? And you're like, yeah, this is my dad left and I really needed him. And then, you know, my mom couldn't da, 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 And there's a whole story there, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't need to have a super level of discernment. It is plotted on the map. But there is something about like the morphic field of biofield tuning where all of this information lives. And there is something about sticking a fork in something, quieting your mind and your own self-doubt. And this information simply drops in. And people are amazed that they're, that they're, keyed in and connected just in that way. The tuning fork, because of all the overtones and undertones intersecting with that information, just invites this knowing in people um, that I love to see. And all you have to do is quiet your mind and get out of your own way. And then you're like, oh, this, right? And you've probably had that experience too, Simone, in your work, which is like that direct connection to and understanding of. But that said, if you don't know, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know any of it. You really don't. You don't even need to get in the story. It doesn't be like, oh, it's jammed up right here. You feel that anywhere in your body? No. Well, feel a little deeper. What do you think? Oh, yeah, no, no, you mentioned it. My diaphragm's a little tight. Okay, keep your awareness on that somatic experience and let's just get the body to relax right there. Yeah, so. that's beautiful. I mean, a lot of this, the, I find that my side is very intuitive, that I don't always understand what comes through. Um, it, obviously, I understand the science and, and so on to a point, not of, of bio, biofield tuning, but in general, from a sound healing perspective and mostly using my voice. But I have had experiences working on people who'd say, look, I've got some backache. Physio's not working. This isn't working. Can you help? I use tuning forks, but I also use my voice as my main instrument. And very often I can sense and feel things in the same way that you describe the sound. In fact, my first experience of overtoning or bringing harmonics vocally happened by accident. And even though I was a vocalist and I can understand something that was going on, I I, I had to go in and learn what I did in in the intuitive space after. But I did have a client come and she had some backache anyway. We worked on it. And in that, a lot of things kept coming in through downloads, messages, father kept coming up and there was so much going on and I didn't know her story. Um, But I did ask her, is there anything that happened around your father? And then she burst into tears. Um, Her father had passed five years ago. She was a daddy's girl and she hadn't grieved enough for her. She hadn't let go and obviously grieve. And then not only that, at his funeral, she was one of the pallbearers carrying the coffin. And when she picked it up, her back gave out. So we had a double connection with her back and that particular grief that she was holding and it was such a beautiful awareness but for me I love that you said that it's not even about the story so I felt called to share the story or ask the question but very often it comes through and I just keep doing it and it's not always about the story because we're kind of wanting to pick that apart anyway let that go so I do like that and so you don't necessarily get into the story as much in your work you just do the work but sometimes you're called to share. 
Yeah, sometimes things just really want and need to be witnessed. You know, I, I found that I can be working with the fork and I can be working with somatic stuff, but if it's just not budging and it's jammed up, that's when the story very often just wants to be told or witnessed. Mm. You know, people can go overboard with sharing, right? So it's a, it's a fine dance of like, let's mostly keep it somatic. But if there's a particular jam up and something that wants to be discussed, sometimes it's just about being witnessed. Yeah. You know, like I remember, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I've never told anyone this before, right? Mm -hmm. It's that opportunity in a very safe space. If I'm poking in that memory with my fork anyway, Yes, exactly. right? that, that in that confession and confession is good for the soul. It, it, it's, it's that I am being witnessed. Somebody yes. who's safe and compassionate and caring is witnessing this thing that I've been holding close all these years. And in that witnessing, I can relax and let it go. Mm. And that's when the pain dissipates. It's, it's most pain. Most of what we suffer from is some kind of trauma response tension that is still frozen in the electrical system. And it's mm. stopping current from just doing what it does, which is flowing. Yes, yes. That's beautiful. The witnessing is a very, very profound. So I know that you spoke earlier about different states of being and your awareness, and you, you spoke about it as a sonic braille, which I love. Um, could you give an example or a description if there if there is one that you because I know words don't always do justice to this, but a difference between the, the sound of anxiety for perhaps and then the sound of the versus the sound of relaxation. So mm. what are the differences between those two in, in, in your own experience? Well, the way that it comes through in the tuning forks. Okay. So, and, and I do this work at a distance and I do this work at a distance with groups and I have people watch recordings of group sessions. Just, you think, well, how the heck does that work? Mm -hmm. Right. But we've all had the experience of maybe just watching a, somebody play the piano beautifully on YouTube and being moved to tears. Yeah. Right, because because music moves us. <laughs> and yes. and when I have a tuning fork in my hand, this is an instrument. Mm -hmm. And I am using this single instrument to move you. Yes. So but the what the tuning forks do initially is they resonate with whatever's present. Mm -hmm. So if I'm tuning into your field and I'm listening to your field and you're anxious. Mm. that's going to come through in the fork. And it's kind of similar to fear, right? There are tonal families, what I call tonal families. And so fear, anxiety, and excitement are all in the same tonal family. Yeah. They all got this like kind of double beat going yeah. on, right? Mm. And so a lot of anxiety that in my observation is just life force and excitement. I watched this video. I saw this reel the other day and it was uh, this dad had set up this really intricate dominoes um, thing with big <laughs> dominoes and, and they were getting ready to knock it over and all the dominoes were going to do their thing. Right. And this little girl was probably like three and she was so excited. She was just bouncing up and down. She's like bouncing up and down before he did it. And then bouncing up and down when he did it. And I was like, that becomes anxiety in an adult because you squish all that down. Like you're not allowed to like bounce around with excitement in school. You're yeah. told to sit down, shut up, be quiet, use your body in this very limited way. And yeah. so all of that life force and energy and excitement that wants to be a kid and make noise and climb trees and run around and get dirty and just be alive and creative and curious gets put into a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And then, and then we're told there's something wrong with you. It's like, oh, you've got an anxiety disorder. Like, we need mm. to give you a drug now. You're like, oh, God, what's wrong with me? There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. <laughs> There's absolutely a lot wrong with your environment. And and the inhumane way that you, you've you been raised. There's nothing wrong with you. You're yeah. just alive, right? And so and anxiety is kind of a useless term because mm-hmm. what the heck is it? And how do you fix it? Oh, you just need a drug. But really, like, there's usually other emotions underneath. Yes. Right. Anxiety is a feeling. What are you feeling? Well, when I ask people like, well, what's the emotion underneath? Then they might be like fear. Okay. That's getting somewhere. You know, like, what are you afraid of? Yes. <laughs> Why are you afraid? What's all? Because if you, if you just label it anxiety, you, you don't have the trail of crumbs to understand like exactly. what is going on and why yes. and getting to the solution of what's generating this in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so, I like that you put anxiety and excitement, by the way, in the same family, right? Yeah, they're in the same family. Yeah, they even are. in the sound. I, I like that because a lot of the work that I did um, in, in the performance side, music world, was talking about that and needing some performance arousal and adrenaline pumping through the body to perform well. And it's usually, I, I, I say, when the um, cheerleaders go a bit haywire and they start going overboard with the chairs, that you, you kind of go a bit more towards the anxiety, but it's still all about wanting you to do bet your best. So coming back to center and finding center often helps people to do that. But I love that they have a similar sound because to me, they make sense. It makes sense that they'd be in the same family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so getting people to reframe this idea of like anxiety is a bad thing. I need to stamp it out or I need to drug it away or like, no, you just need to figure out how to express this energy. It needs to be expressed. It's been, you've been programmed to bottle it up. Yes. And and then to put self-hatred on yourself. And what what really is this is genius and brilliance and athleticism and exploration and art and like this is all kinds of stuff in you that yes. that wants to find a healthy expression. And and there there might be a layer there of fear, you were abused, this or that, whatever has tucked you deep into that. But yes. when you start to understand and peel back and move through those layers, your genius comes out so true oh i love that i love Mm -hmm. that now i i did read your book and this is many years ago now um and i know you spoke about different parts of the you spoke about the left shoulder the right shoulder um it's it's just um i might not have it correct but you'll let you'll know what i'm asking you um but you spoke also about different ages right where if you stand a bit further from the body that you might be you know in adolescence or different parts of the body and memories where they're stored um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, the ancestral side of things, because this I mean, I do a lot of shamanic work as well, and I work a lot with ancestral lines. But this part in terms of the work you do, I'm really fascinated to understand the I know about the biofield of you. And then what's encoded and what's stored and what's passed down. You started talking about this from the very beginning, right? About all the things that we have, the traumas, the things that are brought into our energy field in some way, shape or form. So a little bit more about that, that ancestral clearing or whatever it is that it is that you feel is needed in the work that you do. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling kind of inspired to to get up and show you um, the biofield map. 
because this has the ancestral rivers Amazing. on. So this is the biofield anatomy map, and you can buy these full size, or you can get little laminated ones from our store. Yes. Um, so this particular character is 60 years old. I'm going to find information that was generated recently next to their body. Gestation and birth are out here at the outer boundary, right? Mm -hmm. So then halfway through the field is age 30. But then I discovered these very interesting rivers that I call the ancestral rivers. And this is the mother side on the left side of our body that goes through the mother zone. There's a fixed point in the field that doesn't move and holds the information energy of your mom mm -hmm. and your dad. And so when I'm holding a fork and listening in these rivers, I hear the stories of your ancestors. I hear, wow, there's been alcoholism in this, in your dad's line for many generations, many unsolved problems, many things coming downstream. Yes. Um, it sounds very different. You know, if you're combing through the field and all of a sudden you hit the ancestral river, it's about 10 inches away. It has a completely different tonal feel. And you can feel that it's a current. And you can feel that, like, wow, that's upstream. Like, this is, like, coming downstream, right? And then that's downstream. Sorry, there's F-35s going over. I don't know if you can hear And And this incredible ancestral healing would take place when I would hang out. People would come back and say, boy, my mom, my dad actually cleaned out the garage. My mom's been waiting for him to do that for 15 years. And you and I did all this work on my dad and my dad's lineage. And now he's cleaning the garage all of a sudden. Like, what's wow. up with that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> but what's so interesting to me about these particular formations is um, I recently had the opportunity to interview this wonderful Peruvian healer named Puma. And Puma comes from a long tradition of, of shamans, like thousands of years kind of lineage, right? And uh, such, a, such an incredible energy. But, he, but I said to him, Puma, I encounter in the field this, this lineage, this, and the ancestors, right, through here. And I said, um, like the female, this is the female side and this is the male side. I'm like, do you have anything in your tradition that correlates that? And he said, yes, actually, we, we have, it's visualized as the healer holding two staffs and the staffs are right in the places where these are. He said, this is the feminine and it has two snakes on the, the head of it because the female can hold two bodies, right? You can be with child. And I discovered the feminine line first. Like that, I, I discovered it by the heart on the left side, but I didn't find it on the masculine side mm -hmm. uh, until like a year later. And then the masculine started showing up. And he said that on the, on the, the staff on the father's side or the masculine side is the head of a puma. Mm -hmm. And that these, this is the representation of these ancestral lineages as these staffs that are just like the ancestral rivers. Wow. And the two headed one has a stronger current <laughs> than the one headed one. So it, it was um, it was very fascinating, right? To be like, this is an objective thing that this isn't, I'm not making this up. And this has yeah. correlation in these other traditions. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, even talking about divine, masculine and feminine, and I know there's so many words, yin and yang, and so many things we can throw out. It is the same that the feminine is on the left and the masculine is on the right. And we talk a lot about this in so many different traditions. So it's so wonderful that you were able to pick that up in the map and really start to work with it in that way. Um, because a lot, of, a lot of stuff we carry that's not ours or, you know, we just just got to put it down.
So much. I mean, Simone, so much more than people realize. There's this thing that I call ancestral miasms that are patterns of behavior that come out of us blindly that we're not connected to, right? This is something that happens in relationships a lot where like, let's just say the the male partner is being whatever, being a jerk. And then the, the female will reflect that back be like, hey, you're doing this. And then they go into denial because they're not consciously connected to that behavior. So they don't even accept it as part of themselves because it's just ancestral gunk coming, you know, the program. We're so much more composed of those who came before us than we realize. And a big part of personal healing is really understanding what you inherited and, and healing that in you. It's something that I've really worked very consciously at with my two sons, my husband, because I come from a family, you know, where whoever yelled the loudest one, my dad used to bang his hand on the table and there was like a whole bunch of, you know, going on all the time. (laughs) I think a lot of people grow up in homes like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, my mom did what I call stuff and blow, or she'd just keep it in and keep it in and keep it in until she couldn't anymore. And then, then she'd throw stuff. <laughs> she'd just freaking lose it. Like, it's a very dysfunctional behavior. Right? <laughs> and my husband also came from a family where they're yelling and all of that. And so what I discovered with my sons who are 22 and 25 now was that we were blindly acting out the same kind of patterning and none of us wanted to be doing it. It would sneak up on us. And all of a sudden we'd be like dogs, you know, like, like, what are we doing? No, nobody wants this. So we really learned to become self-aware, realize that it was patterned behavior that we had inherited and make very conscious choices to like not express it, to really rein things in and to start to interact in the ways that we're, functional. Yeah, yeah. It took realizing that it was ancestral patterning and realizing we had the power to override it and rewrite it. So this yeah. is very doable. It's not easy, but it is no. doable. No. And I, I actually want to reflect something back to you because I think those listening will hear two sides. Well, I was, my side was the other way around. We had a very quiet, relaxed, no one ever argued kind. It was like, we did have, I would say quite a functional um, communication. I was brought up with metaphysics and spiritual parents. So we had a lot of that. I started meditating from age six. So it's been a long, lifelong practice. However, when I met the father of my, well, my, my sons, I have two sons and a daughter, but my sons, their father was very confrontational in my, in my energy as a person. No, but you know, I just say he's Parisian and people get it. But the, the thing is they, he was felt so confrontational to me in my, because I felt that I had that in kind of bringing that down through my parental example. My father was Oh, I call him confrontational. It's the child in me that felt he was that. He isn't really, you know, very much that now. But growing up, I always was like, oh, going into this little shell. And so I I knew how to be quiet and I'd go off in nature and sing. And that was my healing. So when I thought about the relationship with my children, I have two boys who are 17 and 19 soon. 
it was very much making sure that I wasn't quiet all the time or wasn't following, going into the, okay, you don't need to say anything about that right now. We can talk about that later. In fact, it was about, yeah, I am going to speak up. I am going to be loud. I am going to, you know, so it's interesting the opposites that we've had, but both having to look at, as you say, if the healing is there, right? Looking at your own patterns and the things that have brought, that have been handed down, let's say. And it's like, okay, thank you. But now I can put it on the side. Um, exactly. And of course, our children will have the same, right? <laughs> They're going to go through their own. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually, my, my kids have benefited from this work and what I do. And and uh, they both have girlfriends now, but both of their girlfriends have said to me, like, they're so emotionally intelligent. They're such yes. good communicators um, yes. because we've just been really real, you know, about what what is going on and, and how to solve these problems. Um, yes. They've also had tuning and one of my sons is a tuner. Amazing. And so the practice of tuning really makes you a better human in my experience. Yeah. You get to really see and hear and feel and truly help people, you know, it's like, so, um, I love that. Yeah. I, I, I think doing sound healing really of any kind is, mm-hmm. is such a presencing for people, right? Yes. This is a big part of what sound healing is all about yes. is how can I bring you from whatever agitated state you're in, right? We're going to resonate with you where you're at, but then entrain you into this moment. Just come into this moment, breathe, like be okay right here and right now, be regulated, be coherent. And it's such a gift to to bring people into that place. Uh, And I I think more so than, than most wellness practices, we have the ability to witness people and help shift their state and bring them to that quiet spaciousness where healing happens. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. Love that. And obviously you're a researcher. Thank goodness curiosity won and you decided to bring this beautiful work into the world. Um, What's next for you? What are you, is there another stage that you're doing right now in your research? Anything that you might want to share about what's next or the continuation of your work? Well, a couple of things come to mind Uh, regarding research. So we uh, recently got two peer review uh, papers published from a study that we did in December of 2020, where we have 15 volunteers all receive three one-hour biofield tuning sessions, one a week for three weeks. And everybody who began the study had clinical anxiety and everybody who completed the study did not. (laughs) So we see, we've got this published paper in complementary therapies in medicine that every graph is like anxiety markers going down <laughs> very dramatically. And Three so we also, as well, this is amazing yeah. work. Yeah. So yeah. we also just had the qualitative paper accepted in the journal explore. And this is people's stories about mm. what their experience was going through this process and, and how it changed their relationship with themselves and their relationship with their anxiety. So that's the first efficacy study that we've had published, which is very exciting uh, on both counts for both the qualitative and quantitative. We currently have a fully funded three-year follow-up study underway where we will have 60 volunteers as well as a control group. And this is, (coughs) excuse me, this is a study that we hope to have published in the Journal of American Medicine. We're going for the mainstream. We don't want to be in any more complementary medicine journals. We want to bring the biofield into the mainstream. Now, currently, the biofield is considered a battleground, which I think is really silly. Like, there's no reason for it to be a battleground. Our bodies have electric current running through them. 
they have a magnetic field. Let's not argue about that. Let's really get on how biofield medicine can really treat people effectively. Yes. And get to that. We don't need to debate whether it exists or not anymore. Exactly. No, no, <laughs> so, no. uh, so that's one thing, but also, um, where, where my, my own creative personal work has gone is with voice. Like Amazing. you are using your voice, uh, as a healer. I did learn that early on, uh, from David Gibson, this technique where you scan somebody's body, like, um, like you do use a tuning fork, except you use your voice. Yes. But I found it kind of awkward to me, like going, <laughs> up and down people's bodies. This is so weird. It's just a little easier to have a fork in the next chair. <laughs> so, so I haven't used that as a practice, but but I have paired up with these wonderful Australian brothers named Isaac and Toral Corin, also known as the Brothers Corin. And we created a program called Sing the Body Electric that has all of these different tones and demitones of the sonic anatomy. And basically what we discovered was that different tones resonate in different areas of the body. And if you tone these tones and you do it kind of systematically it really liberates your speaking and singing voice into a more free authentic place and i think this is such an important part of healing like i don't think that you get true empowerment until you really own your voice yes. and you feel comfortable and solid with it and the voice doesn't come from up here in the head it no. comes from down in the body and all of these different ways that we can express mm. it and enjoy it and play with it and many many people are not free to enjoy their voices or their bodies Yes. And that's how I was. I, I was completely trapped in a body that I hated and didn't understand and a voice that was just so locked up in me. And my big healing journey has really been to get to a place where I'm comfortable in my body and I yes. love and enjoy playing with my voice. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see everybody get to that me, place. Me too, <laughs> me too. I concur. I love that. Yes. And uh, the Brothers Corn, I know I, I love their work as well. Um, so incredible. Oh, I mean, I could speak to you all day. This is just, <laughs> this is just amazing. Um, first, I just want to say um, thank you so much for joining and just coming on and sharing your work. And I really celebrate you all the work that you're doing. And thank you for, I would say, raising that sacred army of bringing this much needed work into the world and just, you know, reminding people that we are just beautiful beautiful at our essence, you know, just getting back to that. And and that's such a beautiful, profound thing. So I really appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thanks, Simone. Thank yes, you. we are. Everybody is. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway from my work yeah. is that underneath all our that the world put in us, there's incredible beauty, incredible yes. genius, and just such amazingness in everyone. Yeah. In everyone. I just want you to know because people know that they're amazing too. Yeah. Every yeah. time I've ever reflected that back to people, they're like, I need that. Own it. Maybe the others. <laughs> no, yeah. We all are. That's so beautiful. Um, obviously, I will be putting all the links to your work and everything um, in with this episode. Um, But before we close off, I do want to ask you my final question. And that is, what is your soulful sound to the world, a self prayer or desire that you wish upon the world? Well, I think I just said it already, right? Didn't I? <laughs> I did. You prompted the question. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I'm good that way. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah to yeah. just be free to enjoy 
to just be free to enjoy your body, this human life and the amazing instrument that you are. And so much joy comes from singing with other people. Mm. Right? Think about being in a car with girlfriends and you've got the eighties ballads on and the windows right. singing at the top of your lungs. Like what's better than that? Right. Just yeah. that place of, of being human that I feel like, especially the last few years have sucked out our ability to just enjoy life. Yeah. And I, you know, why are you doing all this healing to be free to enjoy? That's yes. why you're doing healing. That's the point. Yes. And just, you don't even, you, you can be that now. Yeah. <laughs> you can be that now. You don't even have to wait. And the, the, the path to freedom is freedom, right? The path to beauty, to joy is joy. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't need to wait until you're fixed <laughs> to, yes. to be what you are. Cause yeah. you, cause that part of you isn't broken. No, exactly. That don't need fixing. Yes, <laughs> That's right. I love that. Thank you so, so, so much. Much love to you. Thank you. Thanks, Simone. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.